Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3 in the New Testament scriptures. We'll read the final paragraph of this chapter. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 27 through the end of the chapter. Hear now God's word. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father in heaven, use the Holy Scriptures this morning to conform our will to yours. Not our will be done, but yours. And may we see through the gospel the will of God for our salvation, the will of God for our spiritual life, how we live, what we believe, what we confess, how we worship, how we relate to others. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Spirit of God, open our eyes. May Christ be central. Father, guide us into truth and be glorified, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the first time I ever felt the effects of an earthquake. I was sitting at my desk at the bank where I worked when all of a sudden the whole room started shaking. The desk in front of me was bobbing up and down as if it was riding on a wave. It was very quick. No sooner had it begun than it was immediately over and everyone started saying, what was that? Did you feel that? Well, it turns out there had been an earthquake in Virginia. This was 2011. Maybe some of you remember this. It measured 5.8 on the Richter scale and was felt in more than a dozen U.S. states. It was even felt in several Canadian provinces. Interestingly, being such a strong or wide-reaching quake, no one died. No one was even majorly injured. There was some damage to property, but not to humans majorly. And yet, despite that, apparently more people felt this quake than any other earthquake in U.S. recorded history. And again, for me, just that most vivid memory is the ground literally moving under your feet. Well, I bet the Jews in Jesus' day felt like the ground was moving under their feet. Everything around them was changing. The Romans were continuing to consolidate their power. There were Jewish rebel movements breaking out, the zealots, and and starting some riots later in Israel's history. Other groups were breaking away. Israel's too corrupt, so they were forming their own separatist communities. And in the midst of all that change, that was already on the scene, when Jesus appeared. And he fundamentally alters the makeup, the landscape, the look, of God's people forever. 
We talked about some of that in our passage last week, the changes that Christ's work accomplishes. Jesus changed, changes the nature of sacrifice. He's the mercy seat, the final sacrifice. He changes the structure of God's covenant. Now God is working amongst all nations. He changes the way people approach God, fundamentally alters the priesthood. We could go on and, and highlight more changes, but, but those changes were like an earthquake. They caused people to wonder, when is the ground going to settle <clears throat> under my feet? And you can see some of that anxiety coming through in the questions Paul addresses in today's passage. Look at verse 27 where it asks, where then is boasting? Or verse 29, is God the God of Jews only? In verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? You can hear the Jews asking, what about our security in the law? What about our identity as God's people? What about the integrity of God, the integrity of God's law and God's purposes? How do we make sense of the changes caused by Christ's work? And in our passage today, and you'll love this, Paul answers those questions like a pastor. You see, on the one hand, he is up front. He's up front about the nature of Christ's work. It does change things. It changes our thinking about God and his ways. It changes our life, our worship, etc. But on the other hand, Paul shows how these changes, they actually accomplish what God was planning all along. I know those changes seem so new, but, but they're actually in line with ancient truths, truths God revealed long ago. And so we can walk through this passage together and we can see how God both grounds us, he gives us some anchors, and yet he also grounds us and then he changes us. This passage gives us stability in the midst of change. And we can see it in three Areas. Let's walk through those together. First, we have a stable ground for boasting. A stable ground for boasting. Paul is going to ask and answer three sets of questions throughout our passage. Here's the first in verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law. That requires faith. Back in chapter 2, verse 17, Paul wrote, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, throughout Romans, Paul has been challenging Jewish boasting in the law. And we may wonder, well, what is it they boasted about? Well, looking at the Gospels, Paul's writings, even some Jewish writings around the time, of Jesus, we can conclude they boasted in God's law in two ways. One, God's law gave the Jews a unique status, a superior status to the Gentiles. They were the chosen people. And secondly, then, they boasted in their obedience to the law. The law God gave them, that gave them a right standing with God. And don't get me wrong, I don't think if you asked a Jew, hey, do you think you're perfect? I don't think they would have ever said, I'm perfectly, I, I perfectly measure up. But I think they would say, I've done what God requires. I've operated within the system. 
and therefore I am righteous. Think of Paul in Philippians 3. Excuse me. Well, Paul says the work of Christ eliminates that ground of boasting. In fact, the word in verse 27 translated excluded, it means to slam the door in one's face. Ouch. But as Paul developed in the previous passage, Christ's work on the cross destroys Jewish boasting. And just as there were two grounds for boasting, well, well, the cross destroys those grounds in two ways. First, the cross alters the structure of God's covenant. That's why Hebrews talks so much about a new covenant. God has revealed his righteousness apart from the law. He is no longer mediating salvation through the structure of the Mosaic covenant. Being a part of God's people, that is now offered to the Gentiles as Gentiles, whether or not they follow any of the uniquely Jewish structures of God's covenant. And then second, God's righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The righteous status is bestowed not on those who work, but on those who trust given on the basis of faith because of the faithful life and death of Jesus. And so no one can boast in what they do. No one can say they've mastered the system. That's not how God works. He gives righteousness on the basis of faith. And those truths, that that removal of boasting, the, the removal of the protection, so to speak, of the Mosaic Covenant, that would destabilize many people. That would destabilize The Jews, it would be telling them God's breaking new ground. He's doing a new thing in salvation history. That The time in which God's people are living, it's unlike anything that has ever gone before. And having yet having said that, Paul recognizes what God is doing is actually in line with his ancient purposes. Let me show you why that is so. Notice the end of verse 27. It asks a follow-up or a clarifying question. Because of what law is boasting excluded? Is it the law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. Now here's what Paul's doing. He's making a play on words. The word law in the Bible, it often, usually perhaps, even refers to God's commands. The Mosaic Covenant. Paul's going to use it a little loosely here. He's going to use it in terms of a principle or a rule or a system, though it would still make them think of God's commands. So Paul is saying, hey, what system? What system of demands excludes boasting? Would it be the Mosaic Covenant, that system? No. The Mosaic Covenant says the person who obeys them will live by them. The law puts the the requirements of God in front of people and says, if you can keep them, you will live. And that was Israel's error. They thought they had done that. So they're boasting. But there's another principle. That's the principle of the gospel. And it says, as verse 28 puts it, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law by faith alone. That law, that principle, that rule, that's the one that excludes boasting. 
And what I want you to see is that that principle, that principle of the gospel, that is consistent with God's revelation in the Old Testament. So Paul is not saying, yeah, we used to get saved by works. Now we get saved by faith. What he wants Israel to see is, yes, the law promised you life if you could obey it. But the tenor of the Old Testament as a whole is that sinners can only be saved by faith in the promises of the gospel. There's two streams going throughout the Old Testament, so to speak. There's the stream of the law. Can you keep it? We're supposed to realize, no, we can't. And so we we swim in the stream of the gospel, that by faith we are declared righteous. And if we were to say, well, how do you know that's true to the Old Testament? Where Paul goes in the very next chapter, the example of Abraham. Now, we're going to get there in the coming weeks, so I can't preach chapter 4 now. But Paul's point there is Abraham, long before the law, believes God's promises. And God credits righteousness to him. Israel, that's the purpose you need to get in line with now that Christ has come. And there's one other verse I I want to cite, I think, makes that point. Over in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, You are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's why I worded this point that God gives us a stable ground for boasting. God has removed one ground for boasting, boasting in the law. There's your change. But he's provided a stable ground. For true boasting. And that's boasting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And by the way, that phrase, it's taken from Jeremiah 9.24. An Old Testament prophet who was telling Israel, your boasting should never be that you have the law. Your boasting should never be that you obey the law. You should boast in the fact that you know me, God says. And you know that I exercise kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. In these I delight. Boast in grace. Grace is what establishes. Grace is what maintains your relationship with God. That's what Israel should have boasted in. And that's what we as Christians today, we need to boast in the same. And I say that so that we make sure that as Christians, when we talk about our faith, We do not come across as superior. Here's what I mean by that. Faith isn't something we figure out because we're smarter. Or, well, we just naturally embrace that. I was taught better or I act better. I have a better instinct. And so I've made the right choice. I'll be honest, listening to some Christians when I'm out in town or or other times, that the way they talk or the way they invite people to church, it almost comes across that way. Look, this thing I've figured out. Man, you need to get... On board. No, we are saved by grace. Faith is a gift of God. If we have faith, it is because God graciously changed our sinful hearts to believe the message. And so we are not up here talking down. We are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And so when we share the faith, it's because we know where we've come from. We want others to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that produces, it should produce a gracious manner 
and how we talk about our own faith. So boast, yes, boast in Christ, humbly, graciously, resting on a stable ground. Two, Paul also here, God through the gospel gives us a stable basis for unity. Paul asks and then answers this question in verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So again, in the Old Testament, Israel's got this unique covenant relationship with God. They alone possess God's truth in written form. They're the only ones that have the access to the worship of God through the tabernacle and the temple. And God himself acknowledges this. Amos 3 says, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. There's a later Jewish text that reads, I am God over all that came into the world, but I have joined my name only with you, Israel. I am not called the God of the idolaters, but the God of Israel. And again, you know, it's understandable that Jews would conclude, yeah, God is our God. He is our God alone. If other people want to know this God, they have to accept the law. They have to become Jews. But to borrow the language of Ephesians 2, God has now made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. God has changed the covenant structure, and that means a change in covenant status, a change that is open to all, not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith. Now again, here's what's beautiful about this passage. Paul views this as in line with God's original purposes, including his purposes for Israel. Notice the phrase that begins verse 30. There is only one God. Does that ring any bells in your mind? That is an intentional citation of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your strength and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jews call this the Shema. It's one of the most fundamental confessions of faith in Judaism. Jews to this day, I believe, still recite it as part of their daily worship. It's like our Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed. And it affirms that there is only one God, no other gods, one true and living God, and therefore Israel should worship. Israel should serve this God alone. They shouldn't go after idols. They shouldn't go after counterfeit gods. Well, here's what Paul sees. When he reads that confession that there's one God, he says, you know, that implies something. That implies Gentile inclusion in the people of God. If there is only one God, He must be the God of the Gentiles, or else the Gentiles would be left with no God. And before you say, well, hey, maybe that was okay with the Jews. Well, Zechariah 14 reads, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. 
on that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. What was God saying through the prophet Zechariah? One day, I, God, I will be the Lord of all the peoples, all the nations of the earth. Why? Because I'm only one God. And so Paul concludes in verse 30, this one God will justify the excuse me, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. If there is only one God, then everyone has equal access to God. How do you guarantee equal access to God? Faith being the means of access. That is what anyone can do, provided they hear the message or God changes their heart. That is the means of access everyone can do. And Paul says, you know what? God was, God was driving at this all along, even when he gave us our original confession of faith. So what does that mean for you? It means if you're trusting Christ by faith, then you have a right standing with God, And you have a secure place in God's family. You are no longer an outside. You are part of the people of God. And that can inspire you. I I would counsel you. Spend time every day thanking God for that. Thanking God for saving you and including you in his family. Maybe you're younger. You're, You're learning how to pray. Or maybe you're a new Christian. Learning how to pray. You take time every day. Thank God for saving you. Thank him for his mercies. And then ask him to help you live in light of those mercies. How, how can those mercies transform my life? And then you can ask God to bring even more people into his family. And then you can get up from the place of prayer and you can go out in a way that reflects God's mercy, that lives as a fragrance of the gospel of the mercy and inclusion of God. So it's a stable basis for unity. And then thirdly, finally, we are given a stable place in God's purposes. Verse 31 asks the last question. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And you want to talk about destabilizing changes challenge the law of Moses. Jews thought that the law was eternal. I mean, how many riots did Paul face in the book of Acts? Because people thought he was challenging the law, preaching against the law, or including Gentiles in the people of God. Riot after riot started often because of that teaching and practice. And again, on one level, if you're a faithful worshiper of the one true living God, well, you shouldn't challenge God's law. Jesus himself said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But at the same time, if Gentiles obtain righteousness apart from the law, Well, you can wonder why some would fear, okay, does that cancel out the law? You know, you're focusing on faith, and that just seems to relegate the law to this total obsolescence. I mean, why should we view Christianity as a faithful fulfillment of the Old Testament? Why not view it as a heretical offshoot? 
because of how Paul answers his question. Not at all, or God forbid. Rather, we uphold the law. And when you say, well, how? Ask yourself this question. What was the goal of the law? But better yet, what did the law offer? It offered righteousness. But what's the problem? No one can obtain that righteousness because of human sin. It offered righteousness as a reward for obedience. But human sin gets in the way. It obstructs God's good purposes in the law. So what does God do? He accomplishes his goal, righteousness, apart from the law, through faith, not works. And when we say, but how can God do this? Because of Jesus, the faithful Israelite, born under the law, fulfilling all the law's demands, and now offering righteousness to all apart from their obedience to the law. And so the law, both in terms of its offer and in terms of its demands, it is finally, for the first time, actually upheld. How? By the obedience of Christ, and therefore by faith in Christ. And as we close, how, how do we apply this principle? Well, we apply it to our position, and we apply it to our practice. As to our position, we rest in a right standing with God by faith. Rather than succumbing to despair as if God doesn't forgive us, or rather than boasting in our obedience to the law, hey, I do good enough to get by. No, neither of those. We rest in a secure standing with God, given through faith in Christ graciously. And as to our practice, What was the goal of the law? To create a righteous people. Now again, the law alone can't do it because of human sin. We need the power of the Spirit to break the power of human sin. We need the grace of the gospel to be forgiven and declared righteous by faith. But the goal of the law to create a righteous Holy people, that goal is upheld by the gospel. Because all who are righteous by faith seek to obey God. Our delight is in the law of the Lord, as Psalm 1 says. We keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. We keep ourselves from idols. We put to death what belongs to our earthly nature. We seek the things above. And and what I want you to see is that is central to the gospel. That's not just like a tack on. Oh, hey, by the way, fine print. You get this great gift of eternal life. You got to prove it, you know, through life by works. No, you have a transformed heart. New life flows from that heart. You are given the spirit who enables you to keep God's law. And I would even say the truth, just knowing that you're right with God by faith, that's a powerful truth that will drive you to obey God. And that, friends, that's the stable place where you can stand. From that basis, 
you can see God with your life. You can pursue his purposes for your life. Wherever he's going to take you, whatever he's going to do with you, you can do it because of that basis of by the work of the Spirit, we are found here in God's purposes. So let's pray. Let's give thanks for that. And let's pray for God to work among us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ and the changes that you've brought about through Christ's work. And so I pray for us this morning, Lord, as a congregation, make us stable here. Give us stability in the gospel. Give us identity in the gospel. Give us energy and enthusiasm and excitement in the gospel. And may that be where we find our our daily stability. I pray we wouldn't find it in our works. I just pray for anyone in our congregation that may be presumptuous, just assuming they do enough to get by. May we not delight in our works. I pray we wouldn't find stability in the news, wherever we get our news from, that we wouldn't look to the things of earth or earthly hopes or earthly leaders to give us our stability. May we find it in King Jesus or anything else in our lives that we may enjoy, that perhaps even your gifts, but but ultimately they wouldn't be the stability. They wouldn't be our ultimate hope. I pray we'd find our joy and our stability in Christ so that should you change us or things around us, we could still rejoice in you and serve you. And so do that, we pray. Change us by your grace. Make us humble. Eliminate boasting. Eliminate any sense of exclusion from our lives or our community. Give us a love for righteousness. And help us to go out today now rejoicing in you and trusting you in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.